Okay, let's jump into, we got one more session and then a breakout for guys and ladies and then lunch. So finding your notes, choosing forgiveness. Oh, when you look at the Bible, you will see that mercy is the sweetener that makes all of our relationships go better. Mercy is the sweetener that makes all of our relationships go better because mercy digs the foundation of what has to be in place for forgiveness to be woven right into the heart of this thing called marriage or any other human relationship. Because without, I hope you realize, even Christians sadly act like forgiveness is optional. Yeah, I know there's that whole thing about forgiveness and I might and I might not. But I wanna have a good life and I wanna have great relationships. I just want people to never hurt me. So I've gotta find better people. And that's kinda how people go through life with a whole trail of friends that have hurt them and church people that have hurt them and coworkers that have hurt them and neighbors that have hurt them and there just might be someone who's had that bad of a life. But when I hear someone talking that way, I find myself thinking, you do realize there was one big common denominator through all this, you. You were there every time. And the sooner you get over this, it's everybody else and say, what about the possibility that I could continue in some of these relationships instead of having to find new friends, new church, new this, new that, if I knew how to forgive and if I knew how to let some things go, I don't even have a workshop on this, but let me throw this in. One of the other reasons our marriage is better, way better, is I hope you realize some things we just started letting it go, let it go. Don't hear me saying let abuse go, that's not what I'm gonna talk about. But I mean, sometimes if, if we're just like, I'm not gonna let anything go, I'm not gonna let anything go, oh, that's a way to have a mar terrible marriage. So even still today, I'm trying to be more sensitive and more aware and more filled with the Spirit that when the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, you were wrong, you were wrong, you need to go back and ask forgiveness. I'm convinced there, there are times that I'm not as aware of I, I should be, I'm not as sensitive, I'm not listening like I should. And so the great hope is that yes, I'll go ask for forgiveness and yes, she'll come and ask for forgiveness and that we'll be quick to let some things go if they don't. There have been times that I've sought her out after we had an encounter in one part of the house and the Holy Spirit's just, I remember this one time I was working with a printer and I hope you'll appreciate this because bad marriages are not all comprised of, of physical abuse and sexual sins and horrific things. It's just everyday little things that can lead you to have a really bad marriage. So I was working on the printer. I'm not very techie at all, at all. She's way better. And I was frustrated with the printer and I couldn't get it to work and I'm, I'm at the dining room table and I'm trying to work on it. And she comes in from, from wherever she's been running around. Have you ever had one of those moments where your spouse has done nothing wrong but all of a sudden you're mad at them? And I'm just being honest here. I'm just, ah! And she's, she's saying a few things. And she's trying to be helpful but I kind of went after her. And uh, so she just departed, which was wise. And, uh, and I kept fussing with it. It's like the Holy Spirit said, that was bad. You were wrong. You sinned against her. She's trying to help you. She knows you're terrible at this kind of stuff. Why did you turn on her? And I was like, oh, oh whatever. And when I went, finally, and said, I found her back in the bedroom. I said, hey, you know, a minute ago. And, I, and here's what I want you to start practicing. It's so hard. I, I, 
I worked so hard to get my counselees to do this, and it's like the flesh doesn't want to do it. Practice going to your spouse and saying, I was wrong. I sinned against you when I, and then say what you did, will you please forgive me? Most couples don't do that. The couple I'm working with right now, we're, we're week 16. This is session 16. And this week, I'm like, was there any instance where something happened and you, the Holy Spirit convicted you that you're wrong, you went back and you said, I was wrong, please forgive me, I sinned against you. And he's like, there was a time this week that I thought I was wrong. And I, here's, here's what's so funny. It's amazing, I don't think people mean to lie, but we do not really have the truth about what we're doing. He said, but later I went back upstairs and I gave her a hug and we talked about it. Well, we were Zooming because of other situations, health reasons, I said, well, let's just Zoom. So I'm, I'm listening to him talk and I'm looking at her. She's sitting right there. He's looking at me, but I'm looking at her. I do that all the time. I watch the spouse while someone says something. And she's literally going. <laughs> well, he says he went back and hugged her and they talked about it. So then when he realizes I'm mainly looking at her making faces, he turns and he's like, what? And she's like, we didn't talk about anything. And he didn't argue and say, yes, we did. He's like, oh, well, I hugged you and I thought about talking about it. <laughs> oh, wow, okie dokie. <clears throat> and I was like, what have we talked about? And he said, I know, go back and ask for forgiveness. But he hasn't done it yet. This is not easy. Your flesh will not wanna do it. If this hasn't been your habit, you will try to, but don't just stick your head in the den and say, hey, everything that happened a minute ago, sorry. You know, because then they just think, yeah, you are sorry. You're about the sorriest thing I know. Like, <laughs> saying sorry is not the same thing. When you ask for forgiveness, guess what's happening? What I'm trying to get you to think in terms of, have you noticed, I hope you've noticed, because it was intentional, how much this marriage conference has had to do with the gospel and Jesus? I hope that hasn't ticked you off. Like, when are we gonna talk about marriage stuff? I think that's the problem in so many cases. The gospel and Jesus and this amazing thing called grace and mercy we sing about isn't showing up in marriage. And that's the biggest problem, not all this other stuff. So when you practice saying, will you forgive me, there's nothing more central. You're bringing the gospel to bear right into that moment. And your spouse is, is faced with a moment, will I forgive? But so many couples just move on and it wasn't addressed, and they move on, and it wasn't addressed, and there's all this unreconciled stuff. And so is it any wonder when you fail, I, I just don't feel close to them. You won't, you won't. No human relationship, least of all marriage, can thrive without forgiveness. Just like my last session, it's not will you have problems, it's will you know how to solve them. It's not will you get sinned against, it's will you ask for forgiveness and will you exchange? Will you be willing to ask for forgiveness and will you be willing to forgive to keep this marriage alive? I would say it to you this way, whenever forgiveness becomes optional, whenever I preach on this, and I just preached on it a few weeks ago, it gets so quiet every time. Every time I preach on forgiveness, and you would think it would get boisterous with Christians like at a football game saying, this is our main thing. Yeah, he's talking about forgiveness. Yeah, Jesus forgave me everything. I mean, they're coming out of their seats. Say it. Yes, he forgave me everything. Oh no, it gets really quiet and awkward. Because guess what? 
tons of Christians in this wonderful, good, Bible-teaching church, mine, aren't forgiving. Aren't forgiving. They're not forgiving. And yet they've been forgiven everything. But it gets quiet whenever forgiveness becomes optional. If you've got it in the category of optional, relationships become fragile, unsustainable, and sadly, even disposable. I'm gonna say it again. Whenever forgiveness becomes optional, you just stepped onto a path of making that marriage more fragile, less sustainable, and sadly, possibly disposable. We're done. We're done. You can't keep it alive without forgiveness. Here's the illustration I would give you. Forgiveness is the oxygen in the lungs of your marriage. That's why this isn't, it can't be optional. Never mind trips, never mind personalities, never mind hobbies, never mind children, never mind whatever it is that you think will bring you together more. It's not just what you're doing that's bringing you together, it's what you're not doing to resolve what's pushing you apart. Forgiveness is how that happens. Forgiveness is the oxygen in the lungs of a marriage. You breathe in mercy from your savior and you exhale forgiveness to your spouse. You breathe in mercy. Does he ever stop giving you mercy? His mercies are new at the start of every year. You're kidding me. His mercies to you are new every morning. So therefore, you've got no excuse. Well, I wish I was getting some fresh mercy. I'd have something to extend to somebody. His mercies are new every morning. And for some of you, it's just piling up. And he's saying, you got what you need. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, extend it to someone around you. You've got, don't say, well, I don't, I don't have what I need. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's not a question of not being able to do it. It's a question of being willing to do it. Breathe in the mercy from your Savior. Extend. But again, that pushes us back to the Bible, back to your relationship with Jesus. If it's been forever since you thought about his mercy towards you, then you'll struggle. But if you're spending time with him every day and you have an awareness of being a sinner that needs mercy and you're reading through your Bible that talks about these glorious things, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You exhale forgiveness to your spouse over and over for a lifetime. I don't intend to sin against, sin against Vicky, but it's gonna happen. If we keep living, if he gives us more life, we've been married 35 years, it's not like, all right, the way we'll have this great marriage and let's not, let's not damage it, we gotta stop sinning against each other. Please, just don't hurt me ever again. That's not the hope that we have. The hope that we have is we know what to do when it happens, quickly, forgive. Extend mercy, extend grace. The problem with so many marriages is that they've started holding their breath by refusing to express sorrow over their own sin and refusing to extend forgiveness to their spouse. And when you start holding your breath and treating forgiveness as optional, your marriage goes on life support. And you can try to take trips and do all kinds of other things to jazz it up and breathe new life into it. Not gonna happen. Life support without forgiveness. So it's no wonder that so many marriages are dying a slow, painful, ugly death. But here's where the illustration breaks down. 
Forgiveness is natural. I mean, breathing is natural and easy. You want to breathe. Forgiveness is not natural to us. And your flesh will say, no, 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 no. So this is, you're gonna have to lean into this. You're gonna have to have enough scripture and Holy Spirit that pushes you past this sense of no, 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 no. It does not come easily. It does not come naturally. It has to be intentional because this forgiveness is supernatural. It's supernatural. That's why the world goes nuts when they see this. Even the world sometimes will say, that's wrong. You shouldn't forgive. You can't forgive. This is supernatural. But I hope you realize, I'm so, I'm so tired, especially right now with Christians that are being known for, we're angry, we're raging, we're Republicans, we're this, we're anti-vaxxers, we're anti-maskers. We're, like, we're supposed to be known for forgiveness. Do you realize that's what's supposed to characterize us? When a Christian says, I'm not into forgiving, there's like a hockey player saying, I don't like ice. A Chick-fil-A owner saying, I'm not into chicken. Like, we're Christians. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by how angry politically you are. No. By how you love one another. And then do you realize forgiveness was designed to be one of the strongest apologetics. Remember I brought you marriage, was designed to be a billboard that puts on display the love of Jesus. Guess what? Forgiveness was designed to be one of the strongest apologetics to a lost and dying world that there is a God who loves us and has forgiven us because they think, how do you do that? How do you do that? 1 Peter 3.15 says, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the reason for the hope that you have, not how angry you are. Tell me about your anger. Everybody's angry. It's like, how do you do that? Why would you forgive? Why are you still loving? Why are you humble? Why are you joyful? We're supposed to have people asking us about how different we are, and one of the hugely different things is that we don't hold grudges, we don't retaliate, we don't just seethe with bitterness and anger like everyone else. We forgive, we forgive, we forgive. It has to be intentional, it has to be continual for a lifetime if you want your marriage to stay alive. So what does it mean to forgive someone else and why? What does it mean to forgive and why should you do it? Well, let me just go ahead and give you, give you it in a crux, the sentence, and then I'll try to give you the sturdy, stocky legs that it all stands on. Here's my definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not all about you trying to forget what that person did to you. Too often people think that's what it is, even Christians. Well, I can't forget, so I can't forgive. I can't forget, so I ha can't forget. And I don't feel forgiving. They're waiting on a feeling, and they're hoping they'll forget, and then I'll forgive. The Bible doesn't teach that. Forgiveness is not all about you trying to forget what they did to you. Forgiveness is your choice to remember what Christ has already done for you. And then to extend that same mercy and grace out to those around you, especially those closest to you, regardless of how you feel. I got people that are waiting on a feeling, let me help you. If you wait on a feeling, you'll never get there. 
Do you know you can obey your way into a new feeling far faster than you can feel your way into obedience? The Bible doesn't say pretend we don't have feelings. It does make it clear, do not be ruled by your feelings, do not live by your feelings, and there'll be time you have to talk to your feelings and say, feelings, I hear you, but we're not going that way. Here we go. I'd love it if you came with me. I'd love to feel it, but we're going this way regardless. We're going this way regardless. We got a culture right now that thinks to be authentic, you have to feel it. You gotta feel it. You gotta feel it. Barf. That's why we have a Bible. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Praise God, because there's so many times I don't feel it, and I need to have the, I need to have the power to do what I don't feel. That's called the Holy Spirit. That's called resurrected Jesus living. Do you, is, Jesus, is Jesus prone to forgive people? Yes. Is that his mantra? Is he quick to forgive or slow to forgive? Quick. Does he live in you? Oh, gotcha. He lives in you. And he wants to do through you what he would do. You've got everything you need. Stop waiting around for I don't know what, a feeling or the memories to fade. Forgiveness is not based on a feeling. It's based on the irrefutable fact that Christ has forgiven you. So if your marriage or any other human relationship is stuck and dying a slow death at the hands of unforgiveness and bitterness, I wanna give you three steps that I think can, I hope, get you unstuck and moving forward again. Number one, if you want to move towards forgiveness, you start by looking past what that other person did to you and back to God. Look past the person that hurt you and back to God. In other words, when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about something that we started. This is not our stuff. This is what God traffics in. This is the very heart and center of the gospel, forgiveness, because he's the author of this whole thing. Once again, I don't want you to think this is Brad Bigney or this is Dave Harvey, this is somebody's book. Got this from this book. Go to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And I want you to step back into a parable that Jesus intended to drive home the real point of forgiveness to us. And look at me for a minute. I don't know what your thoughts are about parable. If we're not careful, we just think it's a synonym for a, a fun story. He liked to illustrate. A parable was never, he never told a parable to be a warm story with Uncle Jesus. We just snug, tell me another parable, Uncle Jesus. You, you read the Gospels. When Jesus told a parable, parables were meant to be a, a kick in the head, a stomach punch. Jesus told parables whenever he wanted to shock and shake us out of our conventional way of thinking. Think about how often the crowd would be asking a certain question and he's God, so he knew their thoughts and he would realize, oh my goodness, they are so not thinking what they should be thinking on this issue. Boom, parable time. They were meant to shock and shake. And I think this Matthew 18 is the granddaddy of them all. It is the most shocking parable of any because it's talking about forgiveness. And we struggle with this so much. Start in verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. 
Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, this is always encouraging me too. When you read your Bible, I hope you don't read it saying, man, I wish we had something relevant for today. Our times, this is 2022. The same problems we have are the problems they had. Notice of everything he could be talking about, what's, what's bugging Peter? Peter's basically saying, I'm sick of getting sinned against. How many times do I have to forgive? It was happening then. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he goes ahead and gives his answer and he fully expects to hear a, wow, Peter, go to the head of the class. He says, up to seven times? And Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, which did not mean keep a record, tick, tick, tick. Oh my goodness, you just crossed the line. I hate you and I'm allowed. No. It's hyperbole for ever. There's no point at which you can say, we're done. I stop forgiving you now. Oh, I say to you, 70 times seven parable time because um, he, he saw the look on their face and Peter like what therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants and when he began to settle accounts one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents now often in our day this gets confused that word is not being used the way we say oh she has a talent for pian- playing piano that's not what it's talking about a talent was a denomination of money It was an amount of money. Do you realize one talent was one year's salary? A talent was one year's salary. So he's saying this guy owed 10,000 years of salary. I've got a math friend that's into crunching numbers and he did it based on our dollar today. $9.6 billion. If you took an average salary in the United States times 10,000. This guy owes nine. dollars Point six billion dollars. But as he was not able to pay, you think? His master commanded that, and you gotta realize in that day, and it wasn't that long ago, same way in England. If you read, I like to read history. When you owed money, when you were a debtor, you went to debtor's prison. You think things are hard today with them calling you on the phone? They put you in prison, which is kinda like, now how am I supposed to ever get the money to pay? I don't know, but you're in debtor's prison. They put you in prison, and when it was bad, they put your wife in prison and your kids in prison. This was a hard day. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant had nothing to do with did he deserve it. It doesn't say that. Did he think he had the potential to come up with it eventually? Doesn't say that. The master of that servant was moved with compassion. Released him. That's a key to forgiveness. You release that other person instead of holding them hostage. You owe me. You're in the doghouse forever. Released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28 should not begin with the word but. It should begin with, and that servant went out and said, oh my goodness, anybody that owes me anything, I forgive you. Mm -mm. But, but, 
that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, I hear this taught wrongly. Sometimes a pastor will say, which was like $10. Jesus knows what he's doing, you guys. $9.6 billion is like you would never be able to pay. That's our sin debt against a holy God. But you realize a hundred denarii, one denarius was one day's wage. A hundred denarii is like three months wage. So again, do the math. For Kentucky North, Cincinnati, where we live, that's about $15,000. I don't know what kind of money you make, but the money I make, I need that back. Like, I wouldn't say, ah, what's $15,000 between friends? (laughs) No, can you sell your next child? Can you do plasma? Like, do you know anything about Etsy? You know, Facebook, can you sell furniture? Gotta get that back. We can set up a payment plan, 15,000. Notice what he's done. He's made it big enough that it will impact you. That's big enough that that's, I might have to change how I live. That's gonna affect us. That cost me, that impacted me. That's exactly what we feel regarding forgiveness. This was big. This impacted me, this cost me, this. That's how Jesus meant to put it together. He owed him a hundred denarii and he laid hands on him, took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him saying, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Verse 30, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done. They were grieved and came and told their master. Now, I re- you realize in this parable, the master's who? God. Came and told their master all that had been done. Then the master, after he called him, said to him, the one that had been forgiven $9.6 billion, said to him, you wicked servant. That's pretty strong. And I want you to feel that is what God is saying to any believer who won't forgive. He's not saying, oh, I understand it's hard. Just keep thinking about it. Process it for a lifetime and see if maybe, that's not what he says. If you've been forgiven, how how much of our sin have we been forgiven? Say it again. Say it like it's amazing. All, all, past, present, and the sins I have not even committed yet. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. All, so that right now, not one day, someday, right now, when I woke up at Holiday Inn Express in Green Bay, right now, there is no condemnation to Brad Bigney. Even though he's still a sinner, none. I have a robe of righteousness that is mine because of Jesus Christ imputed to me. I've been adopted into the family as a son with full rights and inheritance that can never be taken or shaken. Jesus Christ intercedes for me day and night saying he's mine, she's mine, he's mine, she's mine. And your standing before God remains the same whether it's a good day or bad day because it's based on Jesus who never changes, who's the same yesterday, today and forever that's what you have if you're a Christian and so that's why it just makes no sense that someone with that would look at someone else and say 
but I'm not forgiving you. Nope, not gonna happen. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, you should. On your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. I don't know what that means. Just put that in your pipe and smoke it. Does it mean you're not saved? I don't think the Bible teaches that you can lose your salvation. It either means you will be one of the most miserable, tormented Christians, and you're not supposed to be miserable and tormented, but if you're not forgiving, he's turned you over to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, each of you, if you do not from your heart forgive your brother their trespasses. It couldn't be more clear. And yet I run into it relentlessly. No, I'm not gonna forgive. No, I'm not gonna forgive. I'm not gonna forgive. I'm not gonna forgive. Regardless of your colored pencils, circling verbs, figuring out the end times, I don't know what else you're doing that you think characterizes Christianity. If you don't forgive, you're missing the grand central heart and soul of all of it. And you are, you yourself are a contradiction in terms. I said to our church family two weeks ago, and I would say it to you, if you're here and you are bitter and angry and unforgiving, please stop telling anyone that you're a Christian because you are hurting the cause. You are making it hard for anyone to turn to Christ because they're supposed to see not perfection, but they're supposed to see, oh my goodness, what is that? How can, how can they do that? What do they have that I don't have? Just like I brought you that, you know, a, a Christian marriage was meant to be a billboard that puts on display Jesus and his love for the bride. Our ongoing quickness to forgive and not to hold grudges was meant to put on display the gospel and that Christ has forgiven us. And so when you as a believer keep saying, I'm a Christian, you got your little fish thing on your ball cap, and yet you won't forgive, it's like throwing graffiti all over the billboard of the gospel. It's still there, the gospel has power, and there's beauty, but it's hard to see it because of Christians who won't forgive. And the world says, I don't get it. It was Gandhi that said, my biggest problem with Christianity is not Jesus. It's his followers. We're never gonna be perfect, you guys, but oh my goodness, if you had to focus on one thing and said, let's not let them see us not doing this, it'd be forgiveness. Forgiveness, forgiveness, because we have been forgiven. See, make sure you pick up on what this whole parable really hinges on. Do you see it? Once again, if you don't, remember, see your own sin first, worst, working on most. Keep seeing yourself as a big sinner so you'll know you have a big savior and you've tasted amazing grace. If you don't see yourself and your sin against God, that it's a 9.6, every day we ought to just be walking around, if it was a bar chart, you know, with the sense of this just orange bar 
right behind us that just goes into the heavens and it disappears. Nine point, my friend tried to crunch this out and put $15,000 and 9.6 billion and you just couldn't even do it. The 15,000 didn't even show up. It was just this faint little blue line. And if every day you stayed aware, I've been forgiven a $9.6 billion debt, all of my sin against God, that's what prepares your heart to forgive others. Because I hope you realize, even if you push back and say, but Brad, you don't know what they did to me. I don't have to. Jesus doesn't know what they did to you, and he still told this parable, because nothing anyone in this world has done to you will ever match or exceed your sin against a holy God, and he forgave it all, 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 all. You start by looking past that person that hurt you, back to God, back to God, back to God, and what he's done for you and his son. John Piper says, since Christ's new covenant with his church is created by and is sustained by blood-bought grace, therefore human marriages are meant to showcase this new covenant grace. And the way husbands and wives showcase it is by resting in the experience of God's grace and bending it out from a vertical experience with God into a horizontal experience with their spouse. In other words, in marriage, you live hour by hour in the glad dependence on God's forgiveness and justification and promised future grace, and you bend it out towards your spouse hour by hour as an extension of God's forgiveness and justification and promised help. Take that vertical grace of forgiveness and justification and bend them horizontally to your spouse. Marriage was meant to be a unique matrix for the display of God's grace. Now think about that. If marriage was meant to be a unique matrix for the display of God's grace, do you realize you don't even have an opportunity to put that on display until you've been sinned against? Don't hear me saying ask for it. Don't hear me saying every day pray that they'll hurt you again. No. But instead of thinking, ah, this is the worst of moments, if you could think, oh my goodness, right now, right now, right now, I have an opportunity to put on display the very heart and soul of this whole thing. What does it look like to put on display this matrix? I am receiving his mercy and grace and have been forgiven all. Therefore, now, now. Everybody thinks they're the exception. If you do a lot of counseling, and I do, then you... Then you hear these contradictions. I can't tell you how many sometimes someone in a counseling session tells me, oh, I could forgive blah, blah, and blah, blah, and blah, blah, and they name all these other things. It's just not what's happened to them, but not this. And in my next hour, I have someone who is exactly one of those things they said they could forgive, but they can't. Here's our problem. It's not what it is, it's that it's ours. It happened to us. Everybody thinks, but this is different but this is different, but this is different. No, it's just yours, and it happened to you, and so it's much harder. He says, forgive, forgive, forgive. Number two, you don't just look past the person that hurt you and back to God, but number two, you stop expecting payment, and you choose to release the offender. In a very real sense, when you forgive, when you don't forgive, in a sense, it's like I'm holding you hostage. You will forevermore owe me. You're in the doghouse and I have the upper leg. I, I've got a, 
I'm just a little above you now and I like that. So in a sense, when you forgive, you're giving up that advantageous high ground. You're saying, nope, I'm not gonna, I release you, I release you, I release you. You stop expecting payment and you choose to release in a way that aligns itself with the Bible and what it teaches about God's forgiveness for us. And I hope you realize it's not about pretending it didn't happen. It's not about pretending it didn't hurt. Whenever you struggle with this, just keep going back to how God forgives us, right? Was it easy for God to forgive us, you guys? No. Our God, because he's holy, couldn't just say, you know what, never mind, everybody come on in. He gave not one of his sons, he had a dozen, and he sent his least favorite. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Is there someone else that knows about cost and pain? Oh yeah, yeah. It cost God to forgive us. Don't ever forget that. It was free to us, yes. It's mind-blowing and amazing. But it came at a cost. It cost God. And so therefore, when we choose to forgive and you struggle with that, but this, this is costing me. Why should it cost me? It costs God. But it's costing you far less than it cost God. We're not pretending it didn't happen and we're not pretending it didn't hurt. And we're not trying to figure out a way to do this and it doesn't cost us. It just will cost you. And you choose to forgive and put away. You don't wait for a feeling. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. Let me show you. Ephesians 4. Jumping in at verse 31. I want you to notice how the, how the Bible words so much of this. And it's not based on a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It's your choice. It's your choice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it away. I have to do it. I'm not waiting to feel differently. I'm not waiting for it to just go away. I'm going to put it away. I'm gonna choose to push it away. Release Look past the person that hurt me, look back to God, put it away. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And I wanna show you a hinge, just like with marriage when I showed you six times in eight verses as he's talking about husband and wife, it's just as Christ, as Christ, just as the Lord. Forgiveness is the same way. Whenever you find forgiveness being talked about in the Bible, you can jump over to Colossians and look at the same thing. You'll see this even as just that he never just says, just do it, just do it. I know it's hard, I know it makes no sense, just do it. He doesn't talk that way. Look at this, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. If you lose sight of Jesus and what God has done for you and his son, you'll never be able to do this. But if you keep it in focus, oh my goodness, just as he's forgiven me, he calls me to forgive, even as God in Christ forgave you. You think about it. It's a choice to put it away, and then you have to choose what you're gonna let your thoughts dwell on. And I find that human beings, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. Every one of us, I think, has two HD big screen surround sound TVs inside of our hearts and minds. And what's playing on those two screens? Well. 
one of those big screen surround sound things is a screen of self-pity. Self-pity with slow motion instant replays of all the things that other person did to you. you really, have you ever noticed how bitterness, bitterness remembers details? I was standing in the den. It was fall. The leaves were on the tree. The little dog, dog was yapping and Good Morning America was on the TV. Why do you remember that? Because you've thought about this so many times. You can't remember your great-grandfather's name, but you remember details. Bitterness remembers details because bitterness rehearses over and over and over. So one of the ways to push past this is you gotta reach down and grab the cord that's got that big screen TV surround sound self-pity plugged in and just... Will it be easy? Oh, no. You'll find your mind going there, but 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, taking every thought captive. It'll be at work at first, just like that backhand where you're like, I don't think I can do this till Jesus comes. I'm having to fight this, fight this, fight this. Trust me, you won't have to fight it forever. Initially, it will seem, oh, this may never let up, but if you will fight, and every time it comes back, and you're tempted to rehearse it and nurse it, and you say, nope. Nope, I forgave. Nope, I forgave. Nope, I forgave. And I find that the best way that I can do what I'm asking you to do is not just say no, say no, say no. You gotta replace it. And I just say, I look at Christ on the cross and I that's what you did for me. That's what you did for me. Therefore, no. No, we're not going there again. We're not going there again. But if you've been doing it for years, your flesh is gonna still take you there. There's a path that's cut. It will not be easy, but it'll be worth the effort. It was Martin Luther not King, but Martin Luther back in the Reformation that said regarding temptation and your thoughts, he said, I cannot keep the birds from flying overhead, but I can stop them from building a nest on my head. And what he meant was, we don't always choose to rehearse bitterness. All of a sudden you just see a sight, a location, a song comes on the radio and boom, that thought is back. I didn't choose that thought, but it's your choice next what you're gonna do with it. Am I gonna take it and let it build a nest on my head and spend the next 15 minutes in the car, commute to, to work just rehearsing that again? Or am I gonna say, no, 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 I've forgiven. Thank you, Lord, you've forgiven me. And you replace, you replace, you replace, and it'll feel like a fight. But you will not have to do this forever and you will feel so much more free and you will have so much more joy. You unplug that self-pity screen. What's on that other HD big screen? All that other one is a screen of revenge with delicious slow motion ideas of what you'd love to see happen to them. You just fantasize. You know, when, when things are really bad, she's admitted to me that she used to do this. I used to fantasize about dying, driving my car into a tree and you will miss me. You'll be so sorry. You'll remember like, wow, he was great. What is that? It's just so much self and pity and what might happen? What could happen to you that would make you feel so bad and then you would know? These two things, woo, if you've been going down those paths for a while, it will not be easy, but you're gonna have to unplug both those and shut it down. So it will cost you. It'll cost you effort. It'll cost you some prayers. It'll cost you some wrestling, but it'll be worth it. 
And let me just say, there are certain sins that I do think have greater implications and consequences and facets. So sometimes someone will say to me, Pastor Brad, what about this? I thought I'd forgiven. I Really, I thought I'd forgiven, but I just have these angry feelings again. And this, there are some sins, I hope you realize, when you choose to forgive, I always try to help my counselees understand, there's the choice of forgiveness, and then there's walking it out. And now I'm walking out in the light of that. There's still gonna be some days that feelings come back. There's gonna be some days that something triggers a reminder of that same thing. With some sins, there's gonna be new information that comes out that you didn't even know about. I believe adultery is one of the most multifaceted sins that someone can experience. And I've sat with multiple, multiple people and walked through this and seen this at close range. It's almost like a disco ball. I know I date myself now, but you know, as it spins, there's all those facets and the light hits it. When, when adultery is confessed and it comes out, typically, and I'm not even talking about the person that tries to hide a bunch of more information. They're not, they're not hiding anything. But when it first comes out, that person sitting there that may choose to forgive, and I've seen it so many times, praise God, that they've chosen to forgive, do they know all the implications at this point of what this is gonna involve? Almost never. This person may end up losing their job because of this. This may impact their finances. This may, this may, this may. This person doesn't even have to mean to be deceitful, but typically the adulterer, right? They've been living in deceit for a long time. They knew about all this. And so there's things that they don't even think to say. And then it comes out and they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, there was that. Oh, oh yeah, there was that. Oh. And so it's like, just like with that disco ball. I think when Jesus said in Luke 7, where he says, one of the disciples says, he says, if your brother comes to you and asks for forgiveness seven times in a day, Forgive. When he says 70 times seven, I don't think even maybe he necessarily means 490 different sins. He could mean 490 different facets of the same incident. You may have to say, oh, oh, there's that. Okay, 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 okay. Sin is messy. Sin is very complicated often. And so sometimes it's not just a neat, clean, there's that, will you forgive? Yep, I will. There's more. There's, now, if you're being deceitful and you're choosing not to, here's my, if you wanna know my answer, I'll have people beg me all the time. Something's come out and there's more. But they'll say to me, oh, but we can't tell him. That would just hurt him even more. Can we just keep this? No, no. You don't have to agree with me, but my answer is always no. You gotta walk in the light. Because here's what I found. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. It's coming out. Wouldn't it be better if it came out now? They're like, oh, but that's just gonna, because here's what happens. You reveal this, you ask for forgiveness, they forgive, you begin to rebuild trust, and 18 months later, oops, this comes out, and they're like, what? And trust is shattered all over again. So if you're here and you are someone living with secret sin and you're feeling convicted to any degree, I would tell you, please, please, please confess it all, not partial, all, all, so that the healing can begin. I don't think it always means that someone has not forgiven. If there's feelings again, 
especially over a new facet and a new piece of this information. There's choosing to forgive and there's walking it out and continue. And here's what I think forgiveness entails. When you say you forgive someone, you're making four promises. I will not hold this against you. I'm releasing you. I will not talk about it to others. That doesn't mean you can't have a good friend you're, you're unburdening your heart to, but you just don't share it in every prayer group. I will not bring it up to you again to use in the future in the midst of a new argument. If you forgive, it's off limits. We've moved forward. And this one sometimes is the hardest. I will not keep this incident. I will not let it keep me from rebuilding closeness to you. But let me make a distinction. Sometimes people think, especially the one who did the sinning, well, you said you forgave me. Why don't you trust me? Oh, those are not the same things. So let me help you. You can forgive someone and he calls you to forgive someone. The Bible doesn't say you have to immediately trust them. So when something's come out and we are working on reconciliation, forgiveness, oh yeah, if you're an hour late from work and you used to drive through Covington and that's where you saw prostitutes and she sees on Find My Friend you're in Covington and she's upset when you get home, don't act like, what, girl, why don't you trust me? Because trust has been shattered. Distinction, forgiveness. Forgiveness is granted immediately because God has forgiven us. Trust is rebuilt. It'll take time to rebuild trust. It's gonna cost you, but it cost God. This is one talk on forgiveness, and I know this is such a hard subject. If you need more help, and all I've done is just stir it up, Go to my website, and it's not my messages, but there are four messages I put there, so go to bradbigney.com, not our church site. Because I use them so many times, so often in counseling, it's four messages by Milton Vincent. He came to our church and did an advanced conference on forgiveness. It's the best stuff I've ever heard, ever. ever. I know you might be thinking, what could be said that hadn't already been said? That's what I thought too. Because my wife heard him while I was teaching in another level, and she's just like, on and on and on and on and on. I'm like, girl, I have taught on forgiveness before. But she's like, oh. I've listened to those things three times. It is so good. He does a 360 around the cross where he just walks you around the cross with all the implications of what it means to be justified, redeemed, forgiven, child of God, and gets you ready for now forgiving. If you need help, it's free. Just go to my website, click sermons, look for Milton Vincent, forgiveness, Amazing. And see, if that doesn't help you, and I run into this, if rethinking the cross and doing a 360 around the cross and and really meditating on what God in Christ did for you doesn't move you, something's not right. I remember a night in counseling where I was trying to help this couple move forward that were very stuck. This was not the first session, and I was bringing again the cross and Christ and what he's done for us, and I'll never forget, she crossed her arms and she leaned back in her chair and she said, honestly, Pastor Brad, that does absolutely nothing for me. I wanna know what God has done for me lately. Now, I don't know if you feel sorry for her, but I didn't. I wanted to get out of the room before lightning just blew a hole in my office floor there (laughs) and left a little ashen piece of her I mean, it is amazing to me that God is so long-suffering with us. Can you imagine how that struck his ears? I know how it struck mine. That does nothing. The day 
that thinking about Christ's death on the cross does nothing for you is a really bad day, my friend. You're in a bad place. That your sin was placed on him and the wrath of God was poured out on him and Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath dry for you so that you'll never taste it, never experience it. To say that does nothing for me. You're either not a Christian or you're in a really, really bad, distant, foreign place. And you need to come home to Jesus. Number three, refuse to let all the sin in your relationship define and defile the whole thing. Just refuse to let sin, there's gonna be sin in your relationship, define and defile the whole thing. You understand what I'm saying? We live in a fallen, broken world. Romans 8, 18 to 26 just says everything in creation, including us right now, is groaning. Some, some days you feel like you can almost hear it. It's just groaning. It's so broken. Relationships, everything is groaning. And so there's a measure of futility about everything we're, we're handling and encountering. So it would just help if we kept that in mind and extended some grace for each other and just considered Where's a place to not just keep focusing on the sin, focusing on the sin, focusing on the sin? John Piper talks how he and his wife, Noel, think of it in terms of cow pies. I don't know if you've, you, you've got farms out here, right? So I grew up going to Georgia, Rome, Georgia. My, my grandfather had a farm, cows and horses and ugh. My twin brother and I go over there for two weeks, just nirvana, do everything our parents don't allow us to do the rest of the year. You know, ride mini bikes, jump off high things and throw gravels at each other and ride horses and dig potatoes and shoot guns at each other. <laughs> you know, because it's your grandparents. But we would just roar around the farm on these two mini bikes in cut off shorts, no shoes, no shirt. But I distinctly remember, because you don't forget it, when, when you're cornering tight, and I would be, he's ch Brian's chasing me, I'm cornering tight, and I stick my foot down to dig it in the ground as I go, and you drag your foot through what looks like a big, huge, hard, crusty pile. It's soft inside. <laughs> and that thing would just sling. I mean, it was in my ear, it was in my eye, just poop all the way up. And it stinks, it stinks. And what he's saying is, in your marriage, some of you are guilty of just, you won't let anything go. You just keep poking the poop. You just keep poking the poop, and you say, our, our marriage just stinks, it reeks. Yeah, you're poking the poop. Just, there's, there's gotta be a place where you say, yep, there it is. That's still a deal. But is that what we wanna gather? Come here, come here, let's poke the poop. And you gotta have a place where, could we just walk away? So don't hear me saying stick your head in the sand, pretend they're not problems. There's a place for addressing problems and resolving key issues. And then there's a place for just saying, it's a farm. There's gonna be some poop. Don't drag your foot through it. It's a marriage in a fallen, broken world. It's two sinners. No matter how much you lean into grace and mercy and are filled with the spirit, there's gonna be some poop, sin. You wanna poke it? Want to drag your foot through it or just let some things go? Refuse to let all the sin in your relationship define it and defile it. 
God, I thank you for your word and your spirit and for the gospel again that gives us everything we need to forgive. Oh God, some of our marriages are on life support. They can't breathe because they're no longer breathing in mercy and exhaling forgiveness. Lord, I pray you would move some out of the ICU unit and back into a normal room with some sunshine and grace as they begin to breathe in mercy and choose to exhale forgiveness because you've forgiven us all our sins. Lord, would you take some marriages here from surviving to thriving because the oxygen of forgiveness has returned. Throw open some of the windows where marriages have been just stuffed down in the cellar of nothing but human effort, human performance, law keeping, record keeping, shaming, blaming, and bring them back up into the house of mercy and forgiveness, living together with a savior who is risen and a gospel that is still powerful. Change us from the inside out and then use us as sinful as we still are, use us to put on display to a broken, dark, hateful world. Oh my goodness, how do they forgive? Why aren't they bitter? Is there a God who is broken into this world who loves us and forgives us? Use us to point people to you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.